Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Loveline is meant for an adult audience. Loveline may contain sexually oriented content. Listener discretion is advised. Loveline with Dr. Chris starts. Three, two, one. Now. All right, y'all. Happy Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. Hope you guys were uh, focused on self-care and rest. It's my goal every stinking weekend. <laughs> There's always stuff to do. Uh, I'm definitely working a lot during the week, so I'm, I'm so thankful to be kept busy, but um, definitely got to make sure we're centering mental health and self-care. It's so fascinating, again, how that can fall along the wayside when you've got errands to run, you know, general housekeeping to do, some work stuff. So I hope you all were able to do that. And if not, try to figure out if you can carve that in. Gosh, if we could do that every day, that'd be phenomenal. Um, but at least on the weekend, self-care, self-care. Uh, all right, let's get into some news. I thought this was amazing. So I, I you know, I'm doing this live stream show. I'm listening to Stay Connected every night. And, you know, I'm interviewing different guests and celebrities and, uh, don't worry, love line. We will, um, keep having guests on that as well. And I, I was talking about how new, new forms of like hobby or self-care or distractions are, are popping up for a lot of people where they're falling into things that before they had always maybe wanted to do or hadn't. And they stumble upon it. Like I have friends that have always wanted to play the guitar. Now they're playing guitar or, you know, cooking has been something they never had the time or energy for. Now they're cooking, which I'm, I'm not there for that. Um, but I was talking about, uh, puzzles. <laughs> I was never a puzzle person and I got into puzzles. Well, I shouldn't say I got into puzzles. I should say I liked the idea. I romanticize and idealize the concept of puzzles and I've tried. They're very difficult. They're not easy. I thought a thousand pieces was a decently smaller size one. Apparently it's kind of gigantic. And I'm telling you this bad boy, not simple. Uh, Amazon is now selling an all white 1000 piece puzzle. <laughs> you should see this thing. That would give me uh, that would be a nightmare. I, I can't imagine taking that one on. I feel like that is the advanced version of <laughs> puzzle hobbying. That That is beyond what I could do. I, I'm still working on the first puzzle, but um, God bless it. But uh, yeah, no, take note of all the strange things that are kind of popping up or, or use this time as an interesting time to try to jump into new stuff. I was also wanting to learn how to knit. And I don't, again, know where that came from. I think it's just part of popular culture. So a friend of mine sent me all the needed tools and he was going to teach me on FaceTime. Has not happened. 
and I've had the tools now for a month. So that's still on the to-do list. I'm not buckling under the pressure. I'm not letting it tyrannize me, but there it is. It's going to happen at some point. So, you know, we'll get there. I also am maybe wanting to learn how to do a little cooking every now and then I go through some phases. So I shouldn't say learning. Um, Doug kitchen has a really amazing vegan cookbook and I've made some of their pad thais and curries and not too bad, not too bad. So you know, I'll get back to that one. Uh, meet Magnolia. I love this. This is the story. The Gerber baby has their new 2020 spokes baby. Um, adorable. You should see this little cutie pie. Uh, she's a black girl. I love that. The Gerber babies traditionally were little white babies. So now, you know, people of color are finding their way into the Gerber world. You know, come on, we needed that. So that's stunning. So I love hearing that. Uh, Magnolia is one years old. You should see her adorable. Uh, also, there's a bookstore where cats can roam freely. Look, I love stuff like that. Th- that's not news. LA has coffee shops like that. I don't know where you live and if they have that, but um, there's a bookstore and you can adopt them and they run around. I don't know. Like, I, I love cats. I have one. She's Persian no allergy issues, but normally I do have allergy issues with cats. So I don't know how well I would do with cats everywhere, but you should see the photos of this place. It's, it's pretty freaking adorable. Um, this is good news. A man sues his colleagues for homophobic slurs and wins $9,000. I can't really weigh it on the number. I can't put a price on that kind of thing, but, um, I'm glad he won workplace. It's where a lot of us spend most of our time. Sometimes more time is spent there than we do with our loved ones at home. And, to have it be that unpsychologically safe where people are literally slinging around slurs. And I'm not going to read any of them to you, but they're pretty hurtful. And a lot of really, um, not just homophobic, but like sex negative slurs, like tying pr- promiscuity, which nothing wrong with that, uh, have all the sex you want to have, but just really implying that, you know, people that are having same sex sexuality are at a higher risk for, you know, STIs and whatnot, which again, nothing wrong with sexually transmitted infections or diseases, but, um, uh, people love to kind of harp on that kind of stuff. So God bless that one, but I'm glad he got some money. Come on. That's kind of stuff that's got to happen. Pennsylvania. I, I love this. That's my hometown count. Uh, Pennsylvania County declares racism, a public health crisis. Of course, it, you know, why hadn't we thought of that before? That's absolutely part of mental health. Uh, you can have mental health if you're living in a racist or homophobic or body shaming or transphobic culture. And our culture is very racist systemically, institutionally. We all have racism socialized in us. Uh, we all have work to do dismantling it, recognizing it, more importantly, calling it out. Yeah, we got to step it up. We got to call out our friends and loved ones that say racist comments, educate them, set boundaries. You know, remember, racism is created and sustained by white folk. And so it's on our shoulders to dismantle it. It's also on heterosexual shoulders to dismantle homo homophobia. It's on cisgendered people to dismantle transphobia. Um, the individuals themselves aren't the ones, you know, any minority status individual aren't the ones creating and sustaining this. And yet they're begging to be, you know, treated as full human beings and as they should. And so good for you, Pennsylvania. I think that that's something that should, you know, spread and take on fire and spread a little bit more. I love stuff like that. Uh, all right. Not too much news there. <laughs> Time flies by as I ramble, but uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about what to do when you're in a relationship with someone who doesn't support the work you do. It's not as uncommon as you might think. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Love Line with Dr. Chris on channel Q. All right, we're back and we're going to talk about relationships. More importantly, relationships where one partner doesn't support the work of the other partner. So what's really interesting is people can have different ideals and values 
And in heterosexual relationships, one of the most common moments upon which people backslide into old school gender roles is when they get married or when they have children. It's what we're socialized with. So it's for most people, their baseline and we can fight it and try to be more feminist and excuse me, in a very healthy needed way, disregard gender roles, because that's what mental health is really about is not being limited or trapped or having expectations placed upon you because of your gender presentation or your anatomy. I mean, that's so outdated, but people slide back into that. And there's a lot of assumptions and expectations. And the studies are showing that again, like I said, not only do people backslide when they have children or they get married, but uh, a lot of individuals, even ones that consider themselves very liberal, really do think that people that are male identified that their work should not be interrupted and it should come first, even when supporting their opposite sexed or female identified partners work. Uh, they still think that a female's job shouldn't get in the way of the male's job and it should be secondary though, quote unquote supported. And you know, come on, that's outdated stuff. Everyone's work has meaning and, and worth. And I don't like the idea that the most important job is the one that brings in the most amount of money. But in our capitalist culture, a lot of people do see it that way. And I don't think it should be gendered as to whose work is more meaningful. I also support the idea of people that are male identified, uh, wanting to be fathers that stay at home. I don't think it should be assumed that because you're a man that you're going to go to work. I think it should be something that's discussed. And, um, I do believe that if fathers were given more of an opportunity to raise children, it wouldn't be this whole concept of that. They don't know how they're not often given a chance to see that they have those capacities or to demonstrate that, or to learn that no one is born knowing how to be a parent, not even women, not even someone who births a child. Uh, femininity does not inherently make you a good parent or mother. We know that. We know of very horrible mothers. We know of all sorts of horrible human beings. So it's not a gendered capacity. Uh, all genders and all people have the ability to be seriously attached, lovingly present, and knowing how to maybe caretake. That is something we learn, and that's related to other capacities we have or don't have. Also, whatever we're interested in. Again, not everyone who's female in the world is interested in being a mother or a parent, right? So we want to really kind of loosen those things, especially having just had Mother's Day on Sunday. Not everyone wants to be a mother. That's not everyone's goal. And for some people, they don't want it. Some people don't enjoy it. And, um, and a lot of people can be mothers and it's not just about birth. There's a lot of people that have chosen family and people that have raised them and they're seen as a mother, but might not genetically be related or might not have birthed them. And so we want to hold these concepts loosely and just be very thoughtful about how we kind of sling these words around. But more importantly, you know, in a loving relationship, and I talked about this on an earlier segment, there's love, care and support, but I love this word mutuality. And I use that word when I talk about relationships, because what it means is things will never be quote unquote balanced or equal. There will always be someone who's maybe more interested or willing to do something or someone who takes on a role while someone else doesn't. But mutuality means we all have equal power. Our opinions and voice means as much as the others. And so we get to determine some of that. And that's what you seek, mutuality, not equality, not balance, but mutuality, that my opinions and my thoughts matter as much as our partners and that what I think and what I say matters as much. So that's what you really want to seek. And again, for a lot of us, our career is more than just our work. For a lot of us, our career is more than just what we do during the week. For some of us, our career is our, our, our identity, our life. I know my career 
I don't even really use that word because there's no starting and stopping point. Like it's my passion. It's my mission statement. It's my spirituality. It's my ethics. I'm always working there. And I'm also always then not working. Um, even when I'm doing media, I'm infusing all these pieces. Even when I'm at home, those pieces still exist. I'm still, you know, using my social media or my conversations to be focusing on mental health and compassion and activism and politics. It's just this big constellation. And so for me, there's no boundary about that's work. That's not work. This is where it stops. This is where it ends. Having said that, I definitely have boundaries around self-care versus productivity where there's times where I'm willing to be productive and quote unquote working on things. And there's other times where I'm doing self-care, which means it's not about productivity. There's no outcome other than nourishment and soothing. And so I'm reading or being sexual or masturbating or taking a shower or going for a walk or taking a bath or napping or, or daydreaming or eating something delicious. And those are just these things that are just, they have worth and value because they exist. That is how some people's careers are. And people can get into these binds where they say, uh, you know, your work is taking away from our relationship. And I, I do value and support that. I, I think people should come before finances. I think people should come before productivity. And so I always advocate for supporting that, that stance. Um, and, and in a healthy relationship, we do think in terms of we and us, not me and I, like we have enough of a self-centered, uh, narcissistic culture. So I do want everyone to take into account how they're, when in a relationship, a true relationship, how everything they do, how it impacts their partner. Like that's, 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 health. Um, but being a good partner on the other end, I want you to support your partner's passion and their career and what has meaning and value. And I think that there can be space for all the above, but just check in with yourself. Cause again, a lot of this work isn't about calling out our other as much as it's calling out ourselves. Are we supporting our partner's passion and career? Are we supporting this, this object, this space, this activity that they infuse with all their care and passion and signature strengths? Because I work with far too many couples where they don't and they really villainize work and they set themselves up as an enemy against work. And so while all that's meaningful and purposeful relationships should, uh, come first in theory, but I don't want a partner to have to set up such a tension where the other feels like they're always managing one or the other. And if they are engaging in a moment with career and work, that that inherently means they're letting down their partner. Um, don't, don't set up that tension. Um, we want to support the best in ourselves. Um, that's what I kind of want this whole week to be on Loveline is just how can we be better partners? How can we be better in relationship to others? Because being in someone's life means we should want it to be increased and better because we're there, not worse off. Um, all right, that's that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Love line with Dr. Chris on channel Q. All right. We got Dr. Jen Wider, MD and our medical expert joining us. Dr. Jen, how are you? Dr. Chris, how you doing? I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. How you been? I'm good. I'm good. Hanging in there too. Yeah. We're doing the best we can right now, right? We are absolutely not traveling though. I can say that much. <laughs> no Billy Eilish concerts and no travel. Not yet. No traveling. No Billy Eilish. Definitely no cruises, Chris. God bless it. So uh, young people having strokes and heart attacks, including yeah. those that aren't necessarily deemed to be at risk. What's going on right now? Scary, you know, a lot of scary data coming out of some of the large hospitals. What's what's interesting is when we looked at the risk for different patients um, that potentially had, you know, dire consequences from COVID-19, a lot of the data came out of China and out of Italy. When you look at some of the risk factors for the American public, they're a little bit different, especially in, in mainland China. So 
One thing that is specific to the to the American population, of course, is the fact that uh, we have an obesity epidemic in this country, which lines people up for risk factors for, you know, diabetes, heart disease, stroke, other risks, risk factors that we may associate with being overweight in this country. So that that is unique to us. And we're going to see patients that are affected in a disproportionate uh, way, you know, having heart complications. But one of the studies, Chris, that is a little bit startling is in the group of 25 year olds to about 49 that don't have underlying risk factors that are presenting who they've made it, you know, through like the lung assault, the respiratory assault of this disease. And now they're coming in weeks later with signs of heart attack and stroke. And these are young people that don't have any underlying risk factors. And I saw the number they said double the number of stroke cases. It's it's frightening. It's frightening. And this and this is why, you know, when we look at the research coming in from this disease, it's going to take a very long time to collate all of the information that's coming in from different health centers. But in yesterday in the New England Journal of Medicine, the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City published a letter about five separate cases of people that fell into this demographic all under the age of 49, all low risk factors, did not have serious disease, their symptoms were mild, um, and they presented later on with stroke and heart attack symptoms, and they were life-threatening. So we need to put this on our radar. You know, it needs to be put on the public's radar, without a doubt. Uh, People have to realize that COVID-19 can this hypercoagulable state, which just means that our bodies are clotting, Uh, more than they would, and we're producing proteins that make the body clot as part of this hyperimmune response. So our bodies are actually fighting the disease. But the problem is in these healthy people, it's what's left over from fighting the disease, unfortunately, Chris, and they end up with blood clots that potentially can become pulmonary embolisms. They can become myocardial infarctions like heart attacks, of course, and also stroke. So we need to be aware of what what those symptoms look like. And people, you know, aren't out of the woods necessarily. They need to pay close attention to symptoms they may be experiencing. And and this creates such a interesting mental health bind, because on one hand, I want people to decrease their anxiety by not necessarily yes. reading this information. But yes. I also want that healthy level of anxiety that makes people stay the heck home and venture out. Right. Because right. And, and listen, and that's such a good point, you know. Part of my role in my career has been educating people through the media about their health in order to empower them. But part of that, the double-edged sword is that it's very frightening if you're in a demographic where you didn't think you were high at risk. If you do have no symptoms or mild symptoms and you think you're out of the woods, we're now telling you, you know, put the brakes on. There's a potential that your body may be in this highly clotting state and you need to be well aware that some of these symptoms may be pretty serious and don't shake them off. So it is, you're, you're walking a tightrope by educating people, but you don't really want to scare them either. What's important for people to remember is this is not run of the mill. You know, these, this isn't a large, vast swath of people that we're talking about. You know, the case study at Mount Sinai was in five patients, but it's enough to really raise a flag because these aren't patients that are typically at risk for cardiovascular events. And it's very important for medical researchers to note this because it is something specific to COVID-19. 
Okay, and me and you tend to think very aligned, so I'm pretty sure I, I'm confident what you're going to say about this. But <laughs> as we see some states and cities opening things up, and yeah. you know, over the weekend, the Southern California beaches were wide open, they were very populated, yeah. and then our own governor here, Governor Newsom, said, I'm shutting those bad boys down. What are your thoughts yeah. on that as we also then juxtapose that with the White House, who's saying, I'm going to kind of oh. back off and maybe even support them opening up? Now, listen, I think the problem is that people are getting really tired of staying inside. You know, there's a sense of we've done this for a long time. It's time to come out. The weather is nice. We need to be really, really cautious. You know, you and I are on the same page, Chris. We have to be very cautious when we're reopening and rolling out less restrictions for the pub, the public. You know, if you're on a beach and you're social distancing, that probably is pretty safe. But if you are jam-packed on a beach and you're not taking precautions, people are running, you're walking directly behind them. There was an interesting study about runners that they really need to be spaced because you're breathing very heavy and your chance of producing aerosols is very, very high. So if people are running directly behind each other, you're at risk for whatever that person has in front of you if they're not wearing a mask. So we need to take precautions. I would not rush out to a crowded situation right now. I think it's irresponsible. I think the governor is getting a lot of slack for this, but he's trying to take care of people's, you know, people's health. And that's the his one of his foremost responsibilities is to make sure as we slowly reopen this country, it's safe enough for people so we don't see a spike in numbers like they did in Singapore. Um, and that remains to be seen, Chris. You know, we're going to unfortunately, without a doubt, see more spikes as we start to open things up slowly. And, and we need to take precautions. We can do so diligently and methodically, uh, but we need to take precautions so that we're not all racing into situations where we're shoulder to shoulder with hundreds of people. Yeah, we need to we need to be careful with that. And there are ways to do this, Chris. You know, there are ways to reopen and to spread people out, especially as the weather becomes warmer around the country. But uh, rushing into crowded areas is not the thing to do right now. All right. Dr. Jen Wider, thank you so much as always. Have a beautiful night. Thank you, Chris. You too. Love line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. Now we're going to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world and we want you to explore it with confidence. All right, here we go. Oh, I like this one. Um, Direct into the point. As a sex therapist, Dr. Chris, do you feel pressured to always please your partners? Now, I appreciate that you put it plural, partners. Um, not no, no funnies. Okay, no one in the studio laughs tonight. Very <laughs> stiff. I was uh, calling myself a slut, but no they one know. laughs. They no know. one laughs. Um, no, I don't. It's because I'm a sex therapist that I actually don't feel pressured to do anything or to please anyone. Um, it's because of the work I do that I'm aware of the fact that sex won't always go as planned. That's okay. That there's multiple ways to have hot sex, fun sex, hot sex, fun sex. Um, also, when things don't go the way I want because maybe my erections aren't functioning, I'm not maybe getting hard or staying hard when and how I want, I'm okay with that. I roll with that. I understand that I have a tongue, I have fingers, there's toys, that sexuality is fluid and diversified. So I'm actually really empowered and I go in with no expectations. Anytime I'm with a new sex partner, I think, who are they? What are they going to want? What are we going to co-create? There's no right way for everyone. And so I kind of see where we go and I'm open to the journey and I have no expectations. Um, I also don't feel like pressure to continue through with sex that feels disconnected at some point or if my mind changes. Uh, so no, I don't feel any pressure at all. I think if anything, some people feel pressured having sex with me because they somehow think 
I'm going to analyze or track. And it's quite the opposite. I'm in my body. I'm out of my head. I'm not focusing on performance. I'm just in the moment trying to connect and enjoy this person. And I hold a lot of space for a lot of, I don't know, mess ups and foul ups and disappointments that other people might not be so cool about. So I don't know. Y'all have sex with me. It's good stuff. You know what I mean? Is that the bottom line? Is that the bottom line here? Yeah. Me in this Uber pool. I'm going to be in the Uber pool trying to find love and dating apparently. Thanks, Steven. like that little gem. All right. We got another question. Hey, Dr. Chris. What, what did we decide MM was again? M-E-Q? Married, married man. That's right. Hey, Dr. Chris. My married man. Someone did a little acronym MM. I didn't know that one yet. Uh, my married man and I were friends for several years and ended up in the same city for work. He was I love, the, I love when they do qualifiers like only. You're trying to already like make something okay. He was only engaged at the time, but not married yet. Things went a lot farther than they should have. But again, he was only engaged, not married, you say. And we've been having a full-blown love affair for over a year. Two weeks ago, he called me seven times and said he had something important he wanted to tell me. But I've been ignoring him in fear of the worst. Oh, I understand. Found out that his wife is pregnant today. I've decided to end things for good. My question is what to do with the guilt. Does it go away eventually? Oh, interesting. Well, look, <laughs> engaging people that are in committed relationships or whatnot is not kind. It's not a good move. Don't make that a habit. However, mistakes happen and the goal is to always learn from them. And I'm open to transformation and change and shift Uh, You know, we can't cancel people when they let us down. We can't vote people off the planet because they've disappointed us. People have to be allowed to have accountability and apologize. So that's kind of my answer. If you're open to, and again, you're not necessarily going to be able to do this with this, this man and his wife, but you can do this work with yourself. If you're willing to take responsibility for what you did, acknowledge that it wasn't okay, and you're open to making sure it doesn't happen again, let it go. I give you permission to just release it and let it go. Sometimes guilt's carried forward because maybe we're not doing that work. And so maybe check in with yourself. Are you still thinking something like that's okay? Um, Because you did rationalize it by saying he was only engaged, not married, right? So you're kind of already trying to still make it okay. So do the work to realize it's not okay and set the things in place to make sure you don't do it again. And that will help kind of relieve the guilt. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Love line. This is Love Line with Dr. Chris. On Channel Q. Now let's go to Echo Smith. We got Sydney, Noah, and Graham with us. How are you? Welcome to I'm Listening, Stay Connected. Oh my gosh, hi. We are doing well. Graham actually, I don't I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> Come on, Graham. Where are you, buddy? <laughs> I think maybe, I don't know. I think because we're supposed to be so like together in this shot. I don't know. I think our manager is like, yeah, Graham, you can just like chill. So it's me and Noah today. But thanks for having us. We're here. <laughs> yeah, thanks for being with us. So I like to start off always, you know, we're, we're trying to get people comfortable and normalized talking about their mental health. How is both of your mental health? You know, right now is a very interesting time, but as, you know, musicians who are kind of in some ways used to this lifestyle of quarantine, you know, when we're off of tour, this is kind of what it feels like, you know, we're at home and technically, you know, not doing very much, you know, so in some ways it's actually been a bit of a healing time, I would say, because it's given us the space you know, to just check in on ourselves and take care of ourselves. And that's how I've been feeling, actually. And of course, there are days that are tough and my anxiety can flare up. But honestly, I mean, yeah, being on tour is very crazy. So I'm kind of grateful for the extra time to just kind of 
I don't know, see how I'm feeling and really think about it and be intentional with it, you know? And how about you? Uh, doing pretty well. I think I, as we all know, being around people is a really essential part of our mental health. Um, we can't go this journey alone. It's just it's impossible. Um, so I am missing, yeah. you know, my community. But the, at the end of the day, I'm really blessed to have my wife. I'm blessed to have my siblings that I'm still seeing. And we may just have each other, but that is an incredible gift. And that, I think, is really helped sustain me through this time. Because I think otherwise, it's like to be completely alone, Just it's not healthy. It's not right. Mm-hmm. And... Um, on you know extended periods of time, even during this quarantine uh, period, that I have been too alone, or I haven't tried to connect with those around me or those that love me, I can tell that that just it it doesn't lead to good thoughts. It doesn't lead to a, a healthy lifestyle. So yeah, thanks pretty for, well done. And thanks for pointing out the social piece. I mean, it's important that we are self isolating and following the rules, but. I, I think it's yeah. important that people notice that this isn't necessarily normal or the best for us. And so whatever struggles come out of that is is somewhat understandable. Totally. And I think, I mean, that's something that we've been talking about in general before all of this happened, you know, with our new album, Lonely Generation. I mean, it's literally called Lonely Generation. We obviously had no idea what was ahead of us this year. And, you know, that song and the whole album really feel more relevant now than ever because it feels so gosh, it feels like we're so lonely. And it's great that we do have these tools. Like we're talking to you right now. I don't know. Where are you, by the way? Los Angeles. (laughs) Okay, us too. So we're probably (laughs) semi-close. But the fact that we can do this, I'm so grateful. It's so cool. But this isn't enough. And I think that's what we're all realizing in this time. It's not enough to just, you know, see you on FaceTime. I think we need that face-to-face connection. And that's something we've been pushing for and pushing ourselves to do more, you know, in general, but especially now more than ever. And you kind of walked us into it. I mean, the album Lonely Generation, one of the things you said is we want listeners to feel less alone. And so you kind of speak to the beautiful impact that music can have on mental health. Totally. And I think it's very therapeutic. I think it's beautiful. Music can do so much more than other things can do even sometimes, you know, of course I go to therapy and I think it's so beautiful, but sometimes just hearing the right song can heal so much in me. And I think a lot of people have experienced that in so many different ways and so many different genres, it doesn't matter where it comes from, but I think it's so cool that music can be a beautiful tool like that. And it could be a tool just to have fun and to let go and not think about what's going on, but it also can dive right in there and kind of just make you address maybe what you didn't want to think about as well. So it's cool how it can do so many different things. And that's why we love doing music. And is a mental health focus always been something that's important to you with your music? Because as I was looking at some of the interviews and the way you talked about the album and your music, it seemed like you wanted it to have that. You also said that the album's going to produce a lot of feelings. I mean, that's a, that's a really heavy statement. Yeah, I think from the beginning, we've always seen music as something that can kind of depict the human experience in a really powerful and a really beautiful way. Um, I was reading something last week, and I can't remember the some, like, master of memory in the brain and he talks about how music helps us make these connections subconsciously within the brain it connects like the frontal cortex and all these things in ways that nothing else really can um and i think it's just really powerful and kind of beautiful to think of how art how we're given art and we're through that given the capacity to not just to remember beautiful things but to connect to beautiful things and i think that like We've always seen and we've only seen it more and more as time has gone on, you know, from the first time people were starting to hear cool kids to now Lonely Generation, all the songs on that record. It's been 
such a privilege and a joy to really kind of understand, have a real grip on what it means to have art impact people's lives. I love that because, again, we don't always have the right language or words to describe what we're feeling or experiencing. And so, like you said, art or music is a way for us to maybe show that or work with it. Totally. So cool. Um, so let's talk about self-care for a second. What I think has been interesting uh, during this time is some people are talking about some new things and new interests or hobbies or ways that they're kind of taking care of themselves that maybe weren't common or familiar to them in the past. Are either of you noticing new hobbies or new forms of self-care? That's a good question. Um, I'm definitely noticing the things that I'm doing that are the opposite of self-care. And I'm like, I need to do this less because mm. I'm feeling... Like I'm going crazy being on my phone too much. For example, I'm like, that is not self-care and I need to stop that. Um, but something good that I've been doing, um, I mean, I've always loved walking and I got married last year. So um, my husband and I are quarantining together as well. Um, so we've gotten to walk a lot. I mean, that's just like the only thing that we can do, you know, and of course we're doing it safely with all the tools, of course. Um, but yeah, just getting some fresh air has been very good for me, especially since we are still trying to do whatever we can, you know, online for our fans. I mean, I'm just with technology way too much. So just kind of putting my phone away for however much time that I can um, is so great. And just getting outside for a little bit has been really good for me. But I mean, that's been like the main thing that I've been doing besides I don't know. I get. I don't know what else. I should be doing more. I think. <laughs> Do you have any self care things you've been doing? Um, I think yeah, I've been doing plenty of walking. I think something that's been really kind of special for me is that I've been, and it's so simple, but I've been making bread. I've been making sourdough bread. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. I was waiting for that. Everyone keeps talking about bread. <laughs> it's what I think is so beautiful about, and I, I've loved to cook for years and years okay. and years, like from middle school. But what I love about creating sourdough bread is that you're actually, you're growing something and you're taking care of the, these microorganisms and you're watching them grow <laughs> and you're feeding them and you're, you're managing and manipulating. It's like a and pet. It's like a pet. It's like a child. What I love about it. It slows life down. Okay, we're going to take a little break listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel, QNRay.com. We'll see you back in a minute. Loveline with Dr. Chris on channel Q. All right, we're back and we got Echo Smith with us. Um, let's talk for a second about the 320 Festival. I think that it's really phenomenal bringing together music and mental health. I think it's a really great platform to normalize everything we're talking about. What do you want to have come out of that for the two of you? Man, I mean, just like what you said, normalizing the conversation itself I think is so important and anything we can do to be a part of that, whether it's through our actual music or what we're saying in interviews or on our social media, whatever we can do, I want to be a part of that because I think it's so important to make it feel more normal for everyone. I know at first when I was hearing about therapy, I was like, oh, well, you know, that's probably not for me, right? I probably don't, you know, you get all weirded out because there's a stigma sometimes with it. And it's the most beautiful thing. I have learned so much in therapy, whether it was just by myself or premarital or whatever, you know, I think it's such an amazing tool, but growing up, it was, you know, kind of weird to talk about it. And you're like, Oh, well, if you go to therapy, you know, I, I don't know if you should talk about it. And I think you should talk about it and share what you've been learning. So, you know, I think just being a part of 
normalizing it as much as we can in whatever ways we can is super important to us. And that's just, you know, us wanting to just keep the conversation going, even if it's just, you know, one-on-one with our fans or, you know, in whatever way that conversation may come up. So I'm glad that we're doing this festival. It's going to be really fun. Good. We have some questions that came in from fans. I'd love for you to answer them with us. Of course. All right. This first one asks, what have you been doing to take care of your, Oh, this is a great question that we just kind of talked about this. What have you been doing to take care of your mental health since self-care coping mechanisms and normalcy have probably been affected? Mm, Yeah, that is a good question. I mean, honestly, (laughs) this is going to sound so silly, but (laughs) something that I just thought of is that um, I got an electric toothbrush for Christmas (laughs) and this sounds so basic. This is how simple things are getting here in self-isolation. But um, I got that and just like literally taking time to like remember to do that before I fall asleep, which I mean, sounds so childish, but just remembering to like, you know, spend time the full two minutes, not cutting it short, you know, just taking care of your teeth because you only get one set, um, you know, just been kind of nice and flossing it up. I don't know. I'm trying to do like healthy things. I mean, it sounds so lame that that's my thing for like fun, but. Well, what I think I like about that though is that like they mentioned normalcy and I think in a world that doesn't feel normal anymore, it's abnormal to kind of create these like normal modes that we go through Hmm. and kind of help it feel a little more normal. Yes, everything is normal. I brush my teeth every day. (laughs) (laughs) For those two minutes, you forget. (laughs) That's right. I mean, I'm the son of a dentist, so I'm always here for people talking about oral health care. But what I also like about that is there's some self-esteem in that, that you're saying like, I'm worth taking care of. I'm worth putting those two minutes aside and, and spending money on a toothbrush. So I think that that's valuable. Yeah. Thank you. I love them. By the way, it's clear that your dad is a dentist. Your teeth are great. <laughs> Thank you. He's happy to hear that. <laughs> we have another question for the two of you. A fan asks, do you have any specific films or albums you turn to when you're feeling a little bit down? Mm. Uh, a specific movie that just came to mind, which sounds sort of ironic that I'm choosing this. Um, well, f- uh, two movies. One this is not ironic, it's perfect. Nacho Libre, that is like the best movie. I've watched it probably two times already in the past month or two. And it's so good, it's pretty short actually. So you can watch it, you know, in the length of time you'd watch basically an episode or two. Um, So Nacho Libre, highly suggest it. It's so funny and you just, even if you've seen it a hundred times, it doesn't get old. Um, So that's a nice way to kind of teleport out of your space. But also The Notebook, I know it's a very depressing movie in a lot of ways, but it's so sweet. Like sometimes you just need a good cry, you know? And every time I watch it, no matter how many times I've seen it now, I sob at the end when they lay together. Oh my gosh, I mean, Nothing feels better, though, than a great cry, especially if, you know, there's something that you've been holding in and not, you know, really knowing that you've been holding it in. Um, Subconsciously, it's like, I don't know, a nice way to let it out while uh, watching people in love. That's that's pretty comprehensive, though. I like that. That's a very well-rounded movie selection, right? The humor to the romance. It's very different. Uh, we have another question. This one asks, what is your favorite Lonely Generation music video that you've released thus far? That is a, a good question, considering we just put one out today. Oh, wow. um, I don't want to lose my love. Um, which actually is one of my favorites that we put out for this album so far. Because um, it's very sweet, but it also it kind of has the vibe of the notebook, actually, where it's very sweet, but really sad. Um, 
which apparently I like. Um, so that is definitely one of my favorites, but I don't know, Diamonds that we did, I don't know, we released that, I don't know, a couple months ago. Diamonds is a Western, basically, and we have like a fake shootout, and it's so much fun. It was so much fun to film, and it looks so legit. It makes me want to actually act <laughs> and be in a Western film. So I love that video. I don't think that'll ever, ever get old. What about you? I think my favorite was Scared to Be Alone. I think right now, mm-hmm. that's where I'm feeling. I like that video. I think yeah. it captures isolation well, and it's just the right amount of playful, but also I think has this kind of dark, ominous vibe to it, too. So yeah, I like that. Dig that one. Well, listen, thank you so much for everything you're doing, and good luck at the 320 Festival. We're all going to be tuning in, and thanks for being a part of our show tonight. Oh, my gosh, of course. Thank you for having us. This was great. It felt like a mini therapy session. Oh, I good. like it. <laughs> Tell your brother we said hello. I will. Right. I'll see you later. Thank be you well. So much. Bye-bye. Have a great night. I love that. You know, film and music, art is such a beautiful way to tap into different emotions. It also brings new levels up or allows us to drop in deeper. It also sometimes helps us communicate. Uh, there's not words for all the different things we might be experiencing or feeling. And art and music is such a beautiful way to just connect to deeper parts of ourselves and other people. Love line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. All right, it's that time of the night. A little DM action. Slide into them. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs is brought to you by our friends Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. And we want you to explore confidence. All right, here we go. We got a we got a little baby question over here. Uh, let's start with this one. Hey, Dr. Chris, I keep seeing on my timeline people sharing a post that says it's not about homosexuality or heterosexuality. It's about promoting sexuality, period. Let kids be kids. And so many people feel this way. Can you explain why this thinking is problematic? I have to like wrap my head around what you're saying here somehow. Like I'm reading it a couple of times. I'm still not clear. I haven't seen this post. So I'm going to reread again what the post says. It's not about homosexuality or heterosexuality. It's about promoting sexuality, period. Let kids be kids. Um, I'm not really sure what you're asking or what the struggle is, but let me say it like this. Sexuality does exist for kids. Uh, there are erections shown in utero. You can derive pleasure from touching your sexual anatomy from birth. Sexuality exists through our lifespan. I don't think there's anything wrong with acknowledging the sexuality um, of children. I think it's okay to talk to kids about people dating same sex, opposite sex, talking about the correct terminology for their bodies and talking about the fact that, yeah, touching your body sometimes derives pleasure for you. And so I'm assuming you're talking about the hyper sexualization of children uh i don't really know so that's my answer all right moving on to the next one ah. hey dr chris i'm asking this at midnight on a saturday so who knows if you'll ever see it or answer but i need your advice i like those questions my boyfriend and i work together at a restaurant a guy got hired that i hooked up with seven years ago in high school he's now my best friend's baby daddy my boyfriend knows we hooked up because it's a small town yikes Uh, And he was asking about him and he was saying it'll be weird working with him because our girls are best friends. And I said, oh, you guys might actually even get along because he's pretty cool. And then World War Three, he said, I'm disrespectful. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't say that someone hooked up with is cool. It's so messed up. He said he can't get past how disrespectful I am. Should I apologize and stop the argument? I didn't say he was hot or amazing in bed or anything like that. Something wrong with me for being stubborn, not apologizing for someone I hooked up with seven years ago. Oh my gosh, you guys. This is one of those ones. Seven years ago, you hooked up with someone. 
and you're currently with someone and all's well and you love each other and trust each other and this other person has a girlfriend and a child and they're a threat, listen, we got to let go of the idea that it should be triggering that people have a sexual history prior to meeting us. Everyone does generally. It's part of sexual development. It's acceptable. Um, if someone says that they're cool and you might get along, that's an even more powerful sign that all's well and that we can all be friends. My God. Yeah. Be friends with this person. I don't think it was disrespectful. Um, so, you know, again, here, look intent and impact both matter. So although there's nothing wrong with the concept, your boyfriend's feelings were hurt. Attend to that part. Hey, I'm sorry that what I said hurt your feelings. I really care about you. I love you. I don't like knowing that you're hurt. And what I said, I actually stand behind. I still think it's okay for me to acknowledge that the person I hooked up with eight years ago, seven years ago, who's not a threat because we love each other and all's well, um, that you guys might get along and you might be able to be friends. Like, I actually like the concept of people being friends with other people's exes or hookups. Like, oof, especially if you live in a small town. Um, yeah. But you can still tend to his feelings, right? The intent was good, but the impact was his feelings were hurt. You can kind of hold both. Um, yeah. All right. Sliding CDMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. And we want you to explore with confidence. Well, y'all, that's our show. Thanks for hanging out with me. We'll be back tomorrow, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Guys, have an awesome night. See you tomorrow. Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q.